this whole thing's a, a mess. Mm-hmm. Ads don't work. This, this, and that. It's like, no, no, no. Where are you sending people to? And what's that experience like? Because mm. people don't buy off of ads. They just click off of ads. They buy on actual websites. They buy on actual landing pages. They put their information in for leads you know, on the actual website. So the first thing I like to do really is look at what are those backend metrics? What are your conversion rates? How are people clicking through the website? <laughs> My name is Gavin, and you are back on another episode of Sometime. It's just a podcast where sometimes we talk about life, sometimes we talk about business, sometimes we may talk about current events, but all the time you'll be entertained, informed, and want to tune in for another episode. I am here with e-commerce expert Damon Dixon. Hey, expert man, I appreciate that. <laughs> Absolutely, I mean it's it's a fair title, right? Yeah, been, yeah, a little bit. You've yeah. been def- definitely doing some numbers, putting in the work for a while. Yeah, so yeah. for the for the people who don't know. Uh, who is who is Damon Dixon, and and if you could tell us a little bit about your product as yeah, well. Yeah, so I've been doing e-commerce now for about four ish years. Mm-hmm. Um, so pre-pandemic, before everybody was thinking about digital marketing, pivoted pivots and stuff like that. Um, I was in my dorm room trying to figure out how do you monetize social media. So this is back 2015, 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got a little bit into Facebook ads when I was in school, and I just I remember it was like. I think it was the summer after my junior year, I made my first 10K in revenue, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay, there's something here. Well, I didn't make a ton of profit, but like I knew, okay, I'm making ads for this platform. I built this website. People are buying this. Mm-hmm. There's some sort of arbitrage going on. So really from 2018 onwards, I just went deep, deep, deep into understanding paid ads. Um, it took me about a million dollars worth of spend to really understand what I was doing. But on that second million when I was spending and also helping other businesses, um, that's where I started making profits. That's where I started to understand, okay, this is how you grow businesses online. And really since then, that's just kind of been what my passion is. And more recently in this past year, I got a lot more into actual product development. So before it was servicing other businesses and then also drop shipping and wholesaling, I wanted to build my actual own proprietary product line mm-hmm. and really see how do you build a legitimate, you know, long lasting brand that has I call it blue water, like no competition to some mm-hmm. capacity. So I've got a men's skincare brand now. Um, we're going to be launching here within the next month. Ideally, we've had some supply chain issues, um, but we've done pre-orders over the past, uh, I think we started pre-orders in like July, mm-hmm. um, did about 40 grand in pre-orders. So we know we have good product market fit. You know, the brand resonates with people. We've got the pre-orders in. Um, now it's just a matter of actually deploying uh, the the inventory, getting it to the hands of people and starting that whole um, flywheel effect. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. awesome. So awesome. About that. Uh, something I, I didn't tell you is I actually saw your product come up on my Instagram. Oh my God. And that's how, that's <laughs> definitely why I wanted to get you on. And this is like a couple months ago. I'm like, I'm seeing the product. I'm like this, this, cause you were in, you were in one of yeah, the ads. Yeah, yeah. I was like, this, this is a awfully familiar face. I didn't know this guy uh, modeled, yeah. but I'm um, in real estate. So obviously I know how to do some deep digging and I did some research. And I was like, no, no, he actually owns this brand. Yep, yep. And I was like, nah, I, I need to, we need to talk about him. Awesome. Um, if you could just kind of give me some background, how do how to Instagram ads, Facebook ads, how does that work? How do you get in front of a customer like me? Yeah, absolutely. So it all starts with the actual creative. So like the video, the photo that you're using um, and making sure that you're creating some sort of marketing messaging that's that resonates with your target audience, right? Um, a lot of people will get into ads and just think, oh, I can just throw some random stuff and target. Um, you can target interest and things like that. Um, but that only goes so far, right? Like a lot of your targeting action needs to be in the creative. If you think about 
how traditional advertising works, not everybody's just going to resonate with uh, what Nike says. Like some people want Adidas, some people want Under Armour, so mm-hmm. on and so forth. Uh, but it starts with the creative. And then on the back end of Facebook, and this is why it's, it's so powerful, you can target people based off of their interests and what they've uh, interacted with and engaged with on the platform in terms of like other accounts. So for instance, you can target somebody who's interested in footwear. In my uh, situation, I target people that are interested in skincare, that are into men's health, that are into grooming, so on and so forth. Um, and you know, you pretty much the platform just starts to understand who these cohorts of people are. And then you have advertiser like me that knows my marketing message, knows who I want to target. I go ahead and deploy marketing dollars into that um, to reach that audience. And if they resonate with it, they click through. If they mm-hmm. don't, they keep swiping. But uh, that's how it kind of works from the back end mm-hmm. perspective. Mm-hmm. For sure. For sure. And I want to get into some of the specifics, like the actual from product start to product finish. But before we do that, yeah. let's like jump back. So you mentioned that you were originally doing this for businesses. Yep. Could you kind of give me that origin story, exactly how it started, exactly what you were doing for business and how you were able to kind of learn and, and see growth from that point? Yeah, absolutely. Forward? So I, um, what you call it, back in... I think it was 2016. Again, I was in my dorm room trying to figure out this whole thing. Like, what am I going to do after college, mm-hmm. right? Um, I knew marketing was what I was good at, like video and things like that. Um, but I think I yeah, started doing video editing at a social media marketing agency. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really small. I think the owner at that point in time was like 25. Mm-hmm. He was just graduated from school. Um, he started up his own shop and really just needed a, a underpaid intern to come mm-hmm. through. But at this point in time, like, hey, 200 bucks a month. I'm, I'm in college. I don't really have much going on. Mm-hmm. I'll go ahead and do this, right? And that really got me, it, it was actually a blessing in disguise, right? Like I wasn't getting paid much, but I had my hands on like five different businesses, right? So I was working with like restaurants. There was some real estate in there as well. Um, mortgage lending, a lot of DC-based uh, businesses. Um, but those few uh, clients that really resonated with me were like the food, beverage, uh, e-commerce clients, right? Um, so what I was learning how to do was create, I was already editing these videos Mm -hmm. for them, but then I was tasked with also, you know, running some ads for them to make sure that we're getting traffic to the website, so on and so forth. Um, so really I just learned how to make these ads, how to run these ads, and then also how to get people to convert on these websites that I also ended up learning how to build as well. Um, so with that, I mean, I think by the time, I think my last year of school, I generated probably like 60 grand in revenue for the, some of the smaller businesses, mm-hmm. primarily off of Facebook ads, right? Um, and then after that, I started to freelance a little bit, help other family businesses, get them off the ground. Um, one client, it was pretty cool. She had a little tea company. Um, and it was like this blooming tea that you put it in the water and it just starts to sprout out. And actually, we, we had some good uh, engagement on Facebook. Um, uh, you know, tea ladies love a little bit of extra stuff, more than just like the bag seeping into the, the water, you know, seeing the flower bloom um, really is eye-catching. And we were able to scale up from about one, she was doing 1K probably like a month on their e-commerce at wholesale. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Q4 2019, I was able to get them to 50 grand a month mm-hmm. revenue, uh, about 20% profit, right? Mm-hmm. And like for them, that was completely a game changer because to that point, they'd never really grown on a digital platform and then also to be able to make some pro- legitimate profits that they can go ahead and reinvest and things like that. Um, so I've helped, yeah, I've helped that sort of business. Um, and then I also have helped more established businesses. So one of my clients now, actually, um, they do lead generation um, for real estate agents. I've been working with them since 2019, mm-hmm. um, helping get new real estate agents into their whole ecosystem, build out their lead generation funnels um, to really just, yeah, keep growing their their whole ecosystem for mm-hmm. the most part. So mm-hmm. I've had experience 
really starting everything from scratch, proving the market, and then expanding that budget slowly. But the way I really did all that was just by going all in with myself and on the side, just taking like literally every single dollar I had into Facebook ads and trying to figure out how do I grow, how do I grow, how do I grow, Mm -hmm. and then just applying it to the other businesses in a little bit more conservative manner. For sure. For sure. For people who are maybe trying to get into that space, like how much do you generally have to spend when you're testing new copy? Could you like break down your methodology on all that? Yeah, absolutely. So the way I like to do it is again, I start, I try to spend as little money as possible. Mm -hmm. And the best way to go about spending as little money as possible is do as much research as you possibly can. So putting in that initial time before you put in the money. Um, So with that, making sure that you understand who you actually want to target, understand who your message is for, and also understand where you're sending them. So a lot of people will just run ads and then have a terrible website. You have to have good ads and you have to have a good website. Obviously, that's relatively subjective, but there's some basic design principles that go into each. Um, I can I won't go too deep into mm-hmm. it, but one of the principles that I always look at is a principle called ADA. So within marketing, that's attention, interest, desire, and action. Um, so making intentional design decisions based off of those different principles within the marketing funnel is what I like to do first. Mm-hmm. So let's say we, we're expert at that and we've got all that down. Mm-hmm. Um, then what I like to do is create my creatives for that. Um, obviously, yeah, website and creatives. And then I go ahead and I start to start off with probably like $30 a day. Um, it's all going to be, let's say, relatively dependent on the, the product and service. Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes down to it, like some businesses will just have different acquisition costs. So this is like a business metric thing that I I must have recently learned about, but like um, when I was first running ads, I didn't understand this whatsoever. Um, but you want to look at what is your general acquisition cost. So for like an established business, if they know their cost per lead is typically around a hundred dollars, well, my goal as an advertiser is to be able to at least come underneath that and optimize around that. So if I come to my budget and I've got my creatives and I've got my landing page in order, and I know I want to go ahead and start deploying these ad dollars. Well, I need to make sure that I have enough budget within my campaign to at least hit that $100 acquisition cost, right? Mm -hmm. So I look at, once I got the creatives down, then I look at what the actual metric that I need to hit. And then I start running my ads and I see where my legitimate metrics come in from the legitimate market Mm -hmm. um, and then optimize from there. Um, So the creative pieces are like the most important part. Then it comes into the budget and optimizing, optimizing around those business metrics and then little magic after that you gotta after being an ads manager for a little bit of time Mm -hmm. you start to see how all the metrics kind of come together um but for the most part it's just getting your basis aligned bases aligned first and then putting in budget and then seeing what metrics come from there gotcha now that that makes perfect sense for people who are running ads and maybe not seeing success how do you generally like diagnose those problems let's say you know businesses spent ten twenty thousand dollars they're really not getting the results they want like what's the first thing you try to look at in that funnel to see what's broken and what to fix yeah absolutely so this actually i was just working i've been doing consulting with this one guy trying to get him up with his e-commerce business Mm -hmm. he had the same exact problem so I think he he was getting a few sales a day. His product was a hundred bucks, right? hundred four dollars. Um, but he wasn't profiting whatsoever, right? It was just barely breaking even. And is this a digital product? Like a this course? Phys- this is a physical product. A physical, yeah. Physical product. I, I won't get into his yeah, specific sure. product, but um, yeah, and it was a physical product and he was doing wholesale and all that. So I'm like, all right, we can work with this, mm-hmm. right? He's getting some sales, which is good. That means his ads on the platform are actually getting clicks and mm-hmm. it's working. But on the actual website, the conversion rate is very low, right? Mm-hmm. So he's sending solid traffic to the website, but it's not converting. 
And that's probably like the biggest, um, I might, I might say error, but the biggest problem a lot of advertisers will see is they're like, oh, look, my cost per click is looking good. I'm getting good traffic, but nobody's buying. Like this whole thing's a, a mess. Mm-hmm. Ads don't work, this, this, and that. It's like, no, no, no. Where are you sending people to? And what's that experience like? Because mm-hmm. people don't buy off of ads. They just click off of ads. They buy on actual websites. They buy on actual landing pages. They put their information in for leads you know, on the actual website. So the first thing I like to do really is look at what are those backend metrics? What are your conversion rates? How are people clicking through the website? Mm-hmm. A tool I actually use is called Hotjar. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm familiar with it. Okay, yeah, yeah, So you, you can see what people are doing on the website, mm-hmm. right? Like it, it's so, I'm gonna say it's amazing, but like Mind blown. Y- you, when you see that, now you're like, oh, okay, this makes sense. They're mm-hmm. not seeing any of my value props. Mm-hmm. They don't know what I'm actually selling. They're just going from my ad to seeing a product picture and saying, buy now. I don't know, Gavin, tell me, like, if you saw that, would you buy right away? No, no. I mean, it, it's also crazy to see, like, as a marketer, because I, I use it for real estate. Okay. Um, and I was running a ton of PPC and a ton of Facebook ads. It was interesting to see what people were actually caring about on my website it was totally counterintuitive or contradictory to what I thought they would click on or what I yeah. thought was important. And I, I don't run any ads anymore for real estate specific, but I definitely was able to make successful tweaks and I'm like, okay, they're clicking on the about us and then they're leaving. So I'm like, yeah. okay, what's wrong on that about us page that I need to fix? And it's interesting to make those tweaks. Yeah, man. And that that's like, it, that, that comes down to understanding the customer a lot mm-hmm. more. I think it's like business owners specifically, like we can get caught up in like the nuances of the product and like trying to get people to buy now or, you know, fill in this lead form, mm-hmm. all this type of stuff. But you have to think about it from the consumer perspective. Like 100%. these are the people, like at the end of the day, like we can look at data metrics and all this stuff, but at the end of the day, we're still marketing the people. Mm-hmm. So who is that person? What are they listening to at 2 a.m. on a Saturday night? What kind of food is it like? What are they talking to their friends and family about? Those are the things that they actually care about. How do we make our business kind of form into their lifestyle mm-hmm. so that way they feel comfortable doing business with us? So that's the way I like to think about it for from sure. a basis. For sure. I think that's super, super insightful. What were some of the changes specifically that you had to make, like let's say in this business yeah. or other businesses that you, you saw increasing conversion? Yeah. So the main thing is just hitting on value propositions that mm-hmm. people actually care about as opposed to just saying, you know, become a lead, become a lead, become a lead mm-hmm. or, you know, buy this product right away. Um, so from a design, I won't get too much into it, but like from a design perspective, um, you know, what kind of imagery are we using on the top of the page? What kind of headlines are we writing? Mm-hmm. Um, is this something, the way I like to think about it is like, if you look at like a magazine, what what is getting people's attention? What is keeping them reading? What is getting people engaging and scrolling through and things like that? Mm-hmm. That's the type of engagement that you want. You don't want people just clicking an ad, going to a page and dying off. You want them to keep, you want them to watch most of your video. You want them to click and you want them to come to this website and see what you're actually offering mm-hmm. and then guide them. And then you'll see them come through a little bit more. And in this case, we went from a 0.9, yeah, conversion rate um, on a hundred dollar product. So, you know, for every hundred, you know, just about less than one, we're coming through and actually buying mm-hmm. up to, I think it was three, okay. um, 3%. Pretty good. At that point in time, you know, that's, that's three extra result. Mm-hmm. You're getting a lot more profitability there. And that's literally, literally what we saw. So sure. just making those design changes and understanding the consumer make a whole bunch of difference. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How many um, iterations and like different design changes are you usually having to go through before you say, okay, like this is the one that we're going to yeah. go through it. So th- that's, um, what you call it? I-, I start off again with the hot jar analyzing it. Mm-hmm. And just for me, like I have like a more of a creative eye, so mm-hmm. I can kind of see what people would want to see in general. 
Um, I, I couldn't get too much into like how I do that. Got I've just it. been in the digital arts and stuff for a long time. Right. Um, but I say this to say, I understand the basic principles of like, okay, this is how you build out a landing page. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the, yeah, that's the first thing. And then when I build out that first like draft, yeah, we just want to see where did the conversion rate go up to, or did he, did it go down? Sometimes it can happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but most of the time, if you rearrange things properly, it does go back up. Um, so it really comes down to the amount of sessions you've got going through the website. Um, what is statistical significance to you? So in, if you go to take statistics, they'll say you like 50 events will give you statistical significance. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I like to see at least a thousand sessions go through that website. Um, because at that point in time, I will be able to know how are people actually interacting with it. And then from that point, you can continuously iterate. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, but usually when you've got a good quality landing page that converts well and it's profitable for the business, mm-hmm. you can keep that thing moving for as long as, as it as long as performance is there. So hundred percent, very, very insightful information. I think this would be really good for, for a ton of people. Yeah. Uh, a kind of a smaller question. Um, do you think fate like advertising on Facebook specifically, do you think the Facebook lead form or like an outside landing page is more effective? Um, so I actually, I've used both, but I'd say for getting qualifying your leads a little bit more, I would say on landing page, mm-hmm. the, without getting too technical, we've had a lot of ecosystem changes within the, yeah, the ad sphere mm-hmm. um, where we've got Apple coming through with ATT, which is ads tracking transparency. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if you go on Facebook or Instagram recently, you probably have been asked, do you want to allow people to track mm-hmm. what you're doing, right? So that, that's messed up a few things on the back end, right? And one of those things is actually tracking which conversion events are going through back to the advertiser for them to see, oh, this is what people are doing on my website, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so if you... That only so the thing is that only applies to actual landing page website. That doesn't apply to on Facebook platform websites and things mm-hmm. like that. So in this case, the lead form would be on Facebook, and then a website would be off of Facebook. So what I recommend and what I'm doing with my one client is I'm running some top of funnel traffic to the actual Facebook form mm-hmm. because I'm getting some slightly lower costs, but then I'm retargeting to my actual landing page with the people I've already prospected for. What this does is it gives me good, clean data that I can read top of funnel. Mm-hmm. And then I can also trust my data middle and bottom funnel because I know I'm getting good quality metrics top of funnel um, within my Facebook audiences. So mm-hmm. I, I recommend mixing it up a little bit. Um, but that, that again, that comes to the the ads going a little bit deep into the ads and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. So. No, I think that, that's super good advice. How do you see the landscape changing? Because I mean, yeah. I know there's been so many changes between Google, Facebook. How do you see the the advertising and marketing landscape, you know, changing over five, 10 years, maybe even like, let's say one year and then five years. Yeah. So, I mean, the big thing right now is data privacy. Mm-hmm. Like that is just huge. Like Apple really t- like made that very clear to people. Um, and that's, and they're, they're incentivized to do so, so they can take a lot of Facebook's market share in terms of advertising. So right. if you actually go into the Apple uh, app store right now, you'll see a lot more Apple ads in their search mm-hmm. um, functionality. So all they really did was try to handicap Facebook as much as possible. And as a result, we're now seeing Meta come about, right? Mm-hmm. So Facebook has now changed their company to Meta. They're focusing on the Metaverse, which kind of will go into blockchain and things like that. And how advertising, I'm not going to get to Metaverse mm-hmm. advertising. I think that's a, a 10-year move. But mm-hmm. um, I say this to say, all the data is still there. You can still advertise 100%, but how you interpret that data is a little bit different. You need to have third-party um, backend dashboards in some capacity mm-hmm. to really interpret your data properly. So that's what I do. Like I don't, um, 
I don't read my Facebook dashboard data like I used to. Mm-hmm. It used to be like one-to-one for the most part. Now it's not. Um, so I use a tool called Triple Whale right now for my e-commerce store to be able to see what my actual like customer acquisition cost is, mm-hmm. overall profitability, and how much I'm spending on specific platforms. I also use UTM tracking as well, mm-hmm. which Google has had since the like I think they they acquired a company back like way back. I, I don't know the exact year, probably before I was into any of this stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, essentially, they they are able to still track what where users are clicking off. And how much they're they're spending on the dollar? I mean, spending on those ads and products and things like that. Um, so I, I'd say, in terms of like where things are going, is as a consumer, you're looking at how do I keep my information as private as possible. Um, and then as an advertiser, I'm trying to think, okay, well, how can I make people feel a lot more comfortable? Mm-hmm. Um, and as a business owner, as a brand owner, right? Like, how do I make people know that, oh, hey, we're, we're doing good business here. We're making you feel good. Um, and we communicate this through our ads. We communicate this through our landing pages, even going down into email. So mm-hmm. I think in terms of like advertising specifically, that will never change. Um, people will always still react to things. I think the algorithms might change up a little bit, but this is why we're seeing platforms like TikTok now get a lot more um, attention from advertisers mm-hmm. because actually TikTok, I've been doing a lot more research on this uh, the past like three months. Mm-hmm. Um, the issue with Facebook was they derived a lot of their data points from third parties, right? So we would put a pixel on our website. Technically that's third party pixel. Mm-hmm. Um, and they would have these throughout all these different websites. And that's how they were getting their data and understanding what people were doing. TikTok, on the other hand, went straight to creatives and seeing how people were engaging on those creatives. Why that makes a huge, that's a fundamental difference in how you're advertising because on TikTok, it has nothing to do with the optimization points and all this type of stuff, right? It has everything to do with the creatives that you're using for the platform to just get distribution Mm -hmm. and making sure that people are engaging with it. That's all they really care about. So I think you're going to see a shift in how people advertise going more towards like actual video content as opposed to just depending on an algorithm, they're trying to find their, their audience. Mm -hmm. For sure. For sure. Again, another very insightful point. I can tell you spent a lot of time in the weeds of this. How do you go from, and I know you're still doing this, you're still advertising for other businesses, but how do you go from doing that to, you know, launching your own product? Could you kind of take us through step by step? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I would say the main thing was, um, for me personally, I, one thing I realized is like when you're advertising for other people, you have handicaps, right? Because mm-hmm. they have their own budgets. They have their own way of viewing the business, things like that. So for me, I don't really like limits to that capacity. Um, it gets kind of annoying. It's like, if I want to do something creative, I want to go do something creative and test mm-hmm. new ideas and stuff. So um, for me, I started my first e-commerce brand literally like the last day of school mm-hmm. um, back in yeah, 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, I was sitting there in graduation with Shopify on my phone, just okay. swiping through real quick. Um <laughs> And with that, I, I think I found a product on Alibaba at the mm-hmm. time, and it was women's skincare. I'm like, okay, yeah, women are going to buy this product. Mm-hmm. I'll figure this thing out. Um, I was able to sell a lot of it, right? But I wasn't passionate about the actual mm-hmm. product and mm-hmm. brand. Um, it wasn't great quality. Packaging was terrible. Um, I was getting it to people you know, quick and things like that, but it just wasn't something I'd see myself doing long-term. And then also, I had an issue with uh, my pricing strategy. So I was really undervaluing the product. Um, and as a result, my audience would never buy again from me, even when I was doing email blasts and things like that. So I saw there's a fundamental issue, fundamental issue, not only in my unit economics, but also my brand's perceived value mm-hmm. and just lifetime value of the customer, right? And to kind of go back 25,000 orders, 
you can't just do that overnight. Right. Like it just didn't work, right? And I tried. Um, so there's a point in time in, I think it was June, 2020, where I made this pivot to like, okay, I, I understand the skincare vertical. I had very bad skin back in the day. Uh, I must, I still don't have like perfectly clear skin, but I had a lot of acne. So I could always resonate with that, um, that whole solving that problem. Right. Mm-hmm. So getting into, I was like, all right, I know skincare. I have these issues. Let me go ahead and actually build a product line around this. And at the point in time, like there's there's still not a lot of men's skincare brands mm-hmm. out there. Um, they're starting to pop up here and there. But for me, I actually wanted to create a tool for men to uh, clear their skin up and exfoliate and things like that. Because that was actually the biggest difference in my skin when I just stopped washing with my hands. Um, that's not going to get in deep into your pores and things like that. And there's only so much a product like a face wash moisturizer can do mm-hmm. to some capacity. If you have thicker, oilier skin, which most men have, you need to go a little bit further, exfoliate and vitalize your skin. So actually, I think it was on Amazon. I found some product that like low key worked. I'm like, all right, mm-hmm. but I didn't, I didn't mess with the branding at all. Like it was pink and things like that. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, all right, let me go ahead and revamp this product. I found a private label version of it. And I had a basic face wash and moisturizer. And then we also had a towel, right? So I went to filming my Facebook ads. Um, candidly, I just film in the bathroom, right? Mm-hmm. Like if for anybody that's making Facebook ads, just use UGC, like so user generated content, mm-hmm. use your phone, get a friend and family, family member to film these ads. Like that's what actually works on the platform. So I was literally in my bathroom filming these ads. Um, and right away I was starting to get sales. And over time I saw, I saw more sales, more sales, more sales. So I'm like, All right, okay. Guys are resonating with this product. It's selling well, and it's more profitable than the other brand I'm running. So eventually, I just scrapped that entire brand, mm-hmm. went all in focusing on dudes. Um, and then I've kept tinkering a little bit more with pricing strategy, and then I unlocked another level of profitability, right? So that's when the thing actually started to grow. And I was like, okay, we've got something here. And at peak, I think, yeah, last January, we did about 300K in revenue, mm-hmm. about a 30% margin, yeah, right? So solid. There were some solid numbers that we could work with. Now, the issue was I got a cease and desist order, right? Okay, from I, I cannot disclose <laughs> the, the, the company, but um, it was at that point in time where I realized, mm-hmm. one, it's good that I can market a product and I can scale it up, right? Mm-hmm. I had influencers in there. There's a lot mm-hmm. of celebrities and things like that actually shouting out the product. Okay. Um, and that was all paid or that was just no, all organic, the right? Okay. So, you know, you got a great product, right? I knew I had a great product and the way I branded it was completely different. Right. Mm-hmm. So like, I was like, okay, there's something definitely here. And then, um, I was like, okay, no, I, I'm not going to just quit. Like I got the cease and desist. I had to get a lawyer involved and like mm-hmm. figure out what all this meant. Cause at this point I don't really know what IP is. Right. I was just marketing products from Alibaba. Like that's all I knew. Right. Mm-hmm. But I had to learn that. So that was one of my learnings over the past year. Um, but when I did that, my uh, lawyer pretty much told me, he was a patent attorney, right? He pretty much mm-hmm. told me, they got you on this, right? Like you you have to stop. Mm-hmm. So I did, but you can design around this patent mm-hmm. in a very specific manner. So that's what I opted to do, right? So I just switched up the design of the product so that it went around their utility. And then I went into actually building my own, uh, what's called my own technology within that. So mm-hmm. that is relatively defensible on my behalf. So mm-hmm. like it's a complete design around, around a design around. So I don't really have anything to worry about there. So that right there was the biggest move and honestly, a a pretty big investment as well. Mm -hmm. But I knew long term, hey, I've got a good product. People like it. And there's some scale going on here. It'd be dumb for me at 24-year-old, 24-year-old not to go ahead and actually make that move. Mm -hmm. Um, Worst case scenario, it doesn't work out. 
a best case scenario, I've got a, a verifiable asset that maybe in you know five years or whatever I could exit for or something like that. Right. So that's the way I kind of thought about building my own product. When you build your own product, you own the rights to that product. Um, you own the supply, you, you can defend it, things like that. Um, and that's what builds a, a moat around your brand. And, you know, definitely in like this virtual era, era of business, right? Like people are going to start ripping left and right. So how can you build your own unique product as quick as possible and keep working with your customers to keep iterating on that product? So that was one of the other things I did was actually like get on the phone with customers, mm-hmm. survey them, see what they want in the new product and just designed around that. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, it's, it's definitely the the best way to approach it. If you're always thinking about your customer first, you're always going to be able to be profitable long term. It's always also good to bet on yourself, right? You yeah, know, it's yeah. going to work out. So always bet on yourself. Um, you dropped you dropped a couple terms that I think it would be good to kind of define for the audience. Lifetime value of a customer. Can you explain that for us? Yeah, in, in a nutshell, just how much money they spend with you over a period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, if for performance marketers, we like to look at at least sixty days. Um, 30 to 60 days post that first purchase, mm-hmm. um, because if you're able to get at least a second purchase within that 60 day period, you're able to spend more on ads. Um, and then depending on like the the foundation of your business, whether it's just um, a single product or you've got, you know, replenishment in there, things like that, a subscription base um, that will dictate how long your lifetime value is and then what is the actual value of that. Mm-hmm. Well said, well said. And then intellectual property. Yeah. Intellectual property. So I'm not, I'm not. Legal, I, I still not perfect not with it, but no, uh, no yeah, intellectual property is pretty much just what you own. I, just, I, I <laughs> it sounds bad. I, I, I don't know. That's why I had to get a lawyer involved. Got you. But uh, yeah, it's pretty much you've created this idea to some capacity. Did you patent patent it? Did you mm. trademark it? And then within that, um, so like I was dealing with something about utility, uh, utility patent. Mm. Um, those are like a lot more defensible than a design patent. Design patent is just what something looks like. Utility is how something completely functions. Mm-hmm. And within that, there are different claims that are made about the utility of the product. Mm-hmm. So luckily for me, I was able to design around one of the earliest claims within that claim sheet. Mm-hmm. And that's how my lawyer was able to say, yeah, if you did this specific design around, you would be fine because you're going very, very high up, which is pretty much like the definition of the product. Mm-hmm. For sure. For sure. What I'm super curious about is the actual um, process in which like you actually did the, how did you find the factory? Yeah. Is it through a factory? Like just kind of run us through all that. Absolutely. <clears throat> so the, the first thing is first is I've always gone like Alibaba is like my best friend. Yeah. Um, and I mean, that's where you find these mm-hmm. factories over in China. Um, I also, I've been working with a logistics uh, fulfillment company um, based over in China mm-hmm. um, for the, since 2019. And the owner actually, um, he's U.S. based. He's based in Miami. Um, he's actually uh, he owns his own private brand as well. I'm mm-hmm. um, actually got a deal on Shark Tank, which is pretty okay. cool. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, his brand is called Pillar Learning. So they actually create uh, kids learning toys and stuff. Mm-hmm. But I say I have to say, um, talking to him about how he went about building his own product and that whole process, understanding building materials and things like that, one that that inspired me to actually do my own thing. But then two, I was able to get some good insight there. Um, so first things first was just finding a factory that'd be willing to do it. The second thing was seeing what changes that I wanted to have made to the product so that it is unique within the market. Mm-hmm. The way I went about that, again, was just calling up customers as well as doing surveys on specific features. Um, and then working with that factory, they usually have designers as well for those products. So once you tell them what features you want, they can actually start to draw, do some drawings and some mock-ups there. And these were factories that you originally found on Alibaba and just reached yep. out to them for, okay. Yep, 100%. And then from that point forward, like 
it's a lot of back and forth, right? Like you're yeah. just going through design iterations, functionality iterations. Um, one thing I learned is everything has a cost. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, when you're just buying product off the street, you don't think about the the lights that go into, you don't think about the amount of vibrations that it has and things mm-hmm. like that. But every single piece really does have a cost. So my main thing was like, how do I increase the value of my product, make it higher quality, but mm-hmm. also not run up my unit economics to the point where like, I know I would not be profitable after factory marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just spent a good bit of time going back and forth at the factory, iterating on design, getting customer feedback, seeing what they liked and what they didn't like. Um, and from there, it just kind of comes into this cohesive piece. Now, you can't just do this without having legitimate money. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think the molds cost right around 30 grand for themselves. Um, and that includes the design as well. Mm-hmm. And also I had to get a patent attorney involved just to make sure my stuff was actually cleared. So that was a little bit more. Um, and then also filed my own patents on the product as well. So with all, all in, um, it's a decent size investment, but once you do that, you, you kind of solidified yourself in your product. Mm-hmm. Um, and how I've also kept things moving in terms of like revenue and funding of these molds, it's actually started pre-orders, right? A little bit before I was actually getting my product in. So that way I could, yeah, again, fund a little bit more of the, the mold cost and mm-hmm. things like that. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, working with the factory one-on-one, they pretty much do everything. Like they're making these products. It's funny. Um, if you go to China, they're like three years ahead of what we're doing here in the U.S. It's kind of crazy. To think, um, right? Like from a tech standpoint, a product standpoint, they they are pretty much ahead. Like mm-hmm. TikTok and things like that we have now, their TikTok is already like, I won't, I won't get too much into it. I mean, dude, you could, you could break it down. I mean, I look at TikTok as a marketer and I'm just yeah. astounded by like the efficiency of that algorithm and like how well it's serving me content and like how all the content connects. And it's like, if I click on something, yeah. how it'll test me to see if I'm interested in that same, it's just like the craziest algorithm I've ever seen. Yeah. It's so smart. So, <laughs> so I'm not surprised. Yeah. TikTok is, uh, yeah, it's just the way, um, and this is one thing I've learned, like working with Chinese companies, mm-hmm. their communication style is one, it's indirect, but then two, they're already thinking like two steps ahead a lot of the time. So I think that's helped me like one with communication, but two, also thinking, how do you think ahead of possible problems and stuff like that? Um, yeah, we won't get too much into the TikTok right now, but uh, on the product side, mainly just working with the factories um, and, and taking some of their advice as well. Um, and then you place in those initial uh, order for the, the inventory. Um, and then you just go from there. So they start manufacturing, building everything. So. Mm-hmm. For for someone maybe who doesn't have that that startup capital, but they're interested in getting into yep. the e-commerce space, they're trying to make some money. What would you kind of, and I, I do want to hear more about this product, by the way, all yeah. the functionality, so we can talk about it at the end, but um, kind of how would you suggest that they, they go about doing it if they're just trying to get into e-commerce and in that space? Yeah, hundred percent. Just drop ship. Okay. Um, or get a very small batch of inventory from a Alibaba, Alibaba supplier. You can get like 50 units at a time, sometimes even 10 units mm-hmm. at a time. Um, you know, get it customized, put a logo on it. It's going to cost a little bit more than what you would do at like, you know, 10, not 10K units, but like even like 2,000, 3,000 units, or whatever. Get that small batch in, make some initial content. So film those ads in your bathroom, do whatever you need to do. Um, take some quick photo shots, you know, on the table or whatever for the website. Um, get, do it as low cost as you possibly can to validate that this product actually sells. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people <clears throat> get caught up in like these product ideas. Like actually it was funny. Like, so I, I live in the suburbs, right? So I'm mm-hmm. not really in the city too much. Um, and I remember my cousin was telling me when she moved to New York, 
yeah, there is no parking whatsoever. I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. I'd never been to New York at that point in time. But she was telling me about an app that I guess they built where you can find parking garages and stuff like that. I'm like, why would anybody ever need this, right? Mm-hmm. I say this to say the product in the market is super, super important. If you don't have product market fit, you legitimately don't have an audience that you can buy media into, scale or sell to, right? Mm-hmm. So I always look at validating that product for as little money as you possibly can do that for, and then go ahead and say, all right, we're getting some money here. We're making some profits. Go ahead and reinvest, reinvest, reinvest. And eventually you're scaling up. You've got some more profits that you can make a bigger move and then go forward from there. Mm-hmm. That, no, that, I think that's a great explanation yeah. on like a baseline level. What is drop shipping? And if someone has no context of any of this, how can they like, you know, start drop shipping next week? Yeah, so. absolutely. So it's, one thing you'll see, like when you go on YouTube, if you type in how to drop ship, how to drop ship, you'll mm-hmm. see a lot of like 16 year old kids making like 10 K a month or something right. like that. So what people need to understand is drop shipping is just a fulfillment method. But that fulfillment method has gotten relatively abused in the past five years since mm-hmm. we've been making YouTube videos about how to do it, right? So what I say has been abused is like people will have shipping times that are you know 40, 60 days long or something like that. Like most consumers are not going to be waiting for that. Mm-hmm. Or they'll keep selling product even though they don't have inventory in stock and don't make it clear to their customers. So drop shipping is just a fulfillment method that's actually been used by like companies like um, Tuft & Needle um wayfair like these are even i'm not gonna say amazon but there's a lot of drop shipping type of activity going on where Mm -hmm. pretty much people are buying the product and then the factory is fulfilling it right so just understand that model first but in terms of where do you find factories that do this you actually can go ahead and just ask alibaba suppliers they now a lot of them do drop ship fulfillment Mm -hmm. um i wouldn't go to aliexpress to do this anymore um, I haven't honestly, I haven't drop shipped in a, a good bit of time. Um, I like to just go straight to the factory on Alibaba and talk one to one with them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's pretty much finding a product that, you know, works, uh, that resonates with the audience that you feel like you can connect to, um, finding a factory that can fulfill on demand, drop ship it, um, and then going forward from there. For sure. For sure. No, that was, I think that was a great explanation for people who, who definitely don't know. Yeah. Um, in regards to like your, your actual product, can you like break down like yeah, exactly what it does. so I don't have the actual device okay, with me. No um, that that is currently in production. Again, we've had some supply chain issues mm-hmm. on that that end of things. Um, so what I have right here though is the face wash and moisturizer that goes with it. Okay. Um, so pretty much the way it works is you have the initial device. So you go ahead and rinse the device. You put your face wash on it. Then you go ahead exfoliate and cleanse your skin. And why we had the device is it, it, it penetrates your skin a little bit differently. Like, again, men have a lot more oily skin and thicker skin. Um, so when you have the device alongside actual face wash, and this one's got activated charcoal in it, mm-hmm. so that actually def- detoxifies your pores a little bit more, um, you're just getting a deeper cleanse. Um, it's a lot more efficient. Um, so you mix the device with the face wash. And then after that, we have also got an micro- antimicrobial towel. Mm-hmm. So you're cleansing your face and you're ensuring that you don't have you're not recycling bacteria back in your face. Um, cool thing about the device as well, it's made with silicone, which inhibits bacterial growth. Mm-hmm. Um, I know for me personally, like I used to play lacrosse, so I would get a, a crazy amount of sweat and stuff deep in my pores. Um, and you keep putting a helmet on and things like that. There's a lot of bacteria going on, right? And that's, again, why I started using an actual device to like clean my face properly. Um Sorry, I was slightly on a tangent with that. No, no, no problem. But uh, yeah, you know, so you combine the device with the face wash. And then after that, you put your moisturizer on, 
just clean up your skin so you don't have that that oily look. So mm-hmm. I the the key with our product line was just really making a simple system for guys to use that don't have a lot of time to think about it. Right. Um, and that device, I'm like, I thought it was crazy at first, but when I started to use that thing consistently. I was like, yo, this is an absolute game changer because it just accentuates the effectiveness of the products that you're using. Mm-hmm. For sure, for sure. And when can we, I guess, where can we find it and when can we expect to, to buy it? Yep. So everything's on dudes.com, mm-hmm. D O U X D S. I, like I took a name. French class. Okay. Uh, so, I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like the name. I took, I took a French class. So that's how dudes kind of came about. Um, and obviously, we're marketing men. So I'm like, all right, hey, this, this works out. But mm-hmm. dudes.com is where it's at. Um, face wash and moisturizer is actually available. Um, the actual device, we're looking to get that in by end of February. Our factories are going on a little bit. I think it's a two-week break. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're just waiting to get materials in and finish up that production. But that's about it for the most part. Everything's ready to launch and you know go into onto the market. So mm-hmm. awesome, awesome. And if, if people are looking to connect with you or follow you on social media, are you on Instagram, like Twitter, where can they find you? Yeah, I'm a little bit on uh I'm I'm trying to get back into social media a little bit, but mm-hmm. I took a little bit of a, a nomad break for for some time. But um, Instagram, it's D A E M N, so Damon underscore, and then also on Twitter as well. And then I just made a TikTok, so okay. I'm gonna start getting a little bit into that. So okay, cool. still D A E A D A E M N. Um, underscores. So awesome, awesome. Well, I'm, I'm definitely excited for you. I'm gonna buy one. I'm gonna go online hey, pre-order, man, pre-order mine. Um, it's funny though. When I saw, I remember when I saw the ad, I was like, "This is this is a good looking product. <laughs> I feel like this will work." And then, um, so yeah, uh, yeah I think yeah. You're, you're doing a lot of good things, and and I hope everything goes well for you, and you see great success with it. Awesome, yeah, I appreciate it for man. sure, for thank sure. You. And thank you for coming on. This is, I think this is going to be a really good episode for people. By the way, you dropped a lot of like Damn, specific details, like good information. Where I think people can watch this and and learn a lot. Yeah, so, yeah, so, did, no, it's did a great job. It was a good episode. That's it. I appreciate it, dude. Oh, absolutely, man. It was, yeah, it was, it was cool. a pleasure to meet you in person. Yeah, for likewise, sure. Man. For sure. Was there? We've got like five more minutes. Okay. I just wanted to like wrap it up in like concise as you kind of finish the <clears throat> talking about the product. So yeah, one thing I am curious about is the specific numbers on that first brand that you ran for the for the skincare product. Like, yeah. What was your cost acquisition for the product? The you know cost of acquisition for customers, and then um, you yeah. know how much were you making? Yeah, so actually, it's cool. If you want to see the full thing, um, I actually did a collaboration like YouTube video with my fulfillment partner where he broke down the logistics side mm-hmm. of stuff. Um, long story short, we scaled a million and one um, dollars on that. Mm-hmm. Now, this is my first. This is my this is my first product, right? Mm-hmm. And I did not make as much profit as I possibly could have. Mm-hmm. I also made a lot of bad investments within that. Okay, I'm gonna preface that. I'm saying I still made some money off of it. It was probably around like thirty grand off that million, mm-hmm. but. Probably should be around a hundred grand, mm-hmm. bare minimum. Um, but I say this say within that, um, my unit economics were fine. It was, really came down to the pricing of the product and then the value I had on it. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of like customer acquisition costs, I think it was around like twenty five dollars, and I was selling the product for forty. Right, so right then and there, there there's an issue mm-hmm. with that margin, and then you factor in the actual cost of the product as well, and the fact that we were in mid COVID when that was happening as well mm-hmm. and shipping costs started to increase sporadically. Um, so there's a lot of moving parts going in there, but I would say that was like my biggest learning lesson, mm-hmm. um, getting into that type of revenue. And then sp- I, I spent a lot on ads, um, that's, yeah, that's to do a, that. Definitely a ton of, <laughs> it, was, it was just yeah. a lot of learning lessons. So I, mm-hmm. I really take that in like, that was like my seed money for my next brand. Mm-hmm. Um, but also my seed experience to get my stuff up. And for sure. For sure. What was the the thing that surprised you the most when you, you spent a million dollars on ads? What was the thing that surprised you the most when you were looking at all the backend data on that? 
Yeah. It, the, the thing is, on my second, see how I rent my ad accounts now, right, is incredibly simple compared to what I used to do before. I used to think you need to have a whole bunch of different campaigns, mm-hmm. a whole bunch of different budgets and all this type of stuff. But it really just comes down to the creative, so the video and photo that you're using, the marketing message, and where, where you're sending that traffic to. If you can get those two things right, it doesn't matter how many campaigns you set up, what the specific budgets are, what you're targeting, all this other stuff. It's always a message in the landing page, and that's what's going to create the tangible value for the people to buy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I literally, like, yeah, last year, I think I was running, like, I only had like five campaigns running at any given point in time. Mm-hmm. So I'd usually do three prospecting and then two remarketing. That's pretty much it. And I test a lot of creatives. Um, but yeah, my biggest switch was just like, it's all within that message. And then it's just amplifying that message for the most part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's very, very wise advice. You go online and a lot of it is even the same thing in real estate. It's all, it's super overcomplicated. And most yeah. of the time the marketing is super simple, right? It's like the prospect, the message, the, the conversion, yeah. the close. It's, it's, but I think sometimes we also tend to try to overcomplicate it because sometimes you just over, we can overcomplicate life, right? We're humans. Yeah. yeah but I, you know, it's cool though. Like I think that's what makes people people. And that also that's where like, can make you a data nerd. Like at one right. point in time, I think I literally was in the ad manager like every single day. Like there's sometimes I didn't, I wasn't sleeping, right? Mm. So I'm just trying to digest this information. But the more experience you get on that, the more you understand what the actual levers are to pull. And those are usually very, very simple mm-hmm. for the most part. For sure, for sure. Well, another interesting point to that is like in real estate, you're also, and this is kind of the difference between like in-person sales and, and online sales. Yeah, You have these kind of like these heuristics and things you see and like where you see the conversion, right? Like actually talking to people. And sometimes I think it's, it can be dangerous to try to bring those into the online marketing space because like the way people may behave when they're by themselves in front of a computer and what you may expect from them there can be slightly different, right? So it's like keeping an open mind, kind of looking at both things. Yeah. 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 But good stuff. We're, we're at time. We're at yeah. time. Honestly, yeah. you killed. I think this is going to do really well. Yeah, that was, that was, I keep telling you that, but like, I think this, <laughs> after having sat through uh, this, again, you're the seventh episode, yeah. you, you dropped some really good knowledge. I say, so you said you had a lot more real estate guys and then yeah. investing in crypto and stuff like that. Yeah. Had, gotcha. Do you know, do you know Yanni? Mm-hmm. He went to uh, Mary Wash as well. And okay. he was doing some, some big things in crypto. He came on. We more or less, we didn't really get into like numbers or coins. We just kind of like had an overview combo. Yeah. Um, and then I've had some real estate guys on and, and some oh, lenders cool. and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so, man. Man. Dope, bro. Yeah. Cool. I said, where are you posting this stuff at? Um, right now. He literally, Josh literally sent me like a little video clip. It wasn't even like a YouTube link or anything. Oh, true. Yeah. No, I just put, started putting this stuff on Instagram like yesterday.